Awesome. All right, man. Ready to do it? Let's do it, bro. Awesome. All right. So back on the podcast today, I've got Aaron, Perth Strength Specialist, joining me today. I'll let you introduce yourself, man. Beautiful. Hey, guys. Uh, my name's Aaron. I've uh, been in the coaching industry now for maybe four or five years, um, primarily work out of physique performance specialist here in Morley um, and in charge of the Morley division, I guess. Um, and yeah, excited to see, uh, hopefully you guys can get a little bit out of my story um, and hear from Cash as well. So excited to be on the podcast. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, man. I've, I've recently been struggling because I've gone through, uh, I think in the first 20 episodes, are all strength coaches. I'm running out strength coaches. Right. And I was like, where are some more strength coaches <laughs> trying to get on? So thank you for coming on, man. I appreciate it. We're a dying breed. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. Um, so what got you start off in the industry? Where, is, uh, where did it all begin for you? Man, it takes me back to maybe like 2017. And this sort of leads into, I guess, my story with uh, with PPS as well. Two seconds. Someone's trying to call me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mate, it always happens. Um, uh, back in 2017 is sort of when I first started my, I guess, competition uh, career in powerlifting, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it started in like GPC Perth Cup, I think was the first um, like official comp that I ever did. Um, and so that was when I first kind of met Johnny as well. Um, so yeah. we competed together. Um, it was just a really great atmosphere in sort of powerlifting. Um, and at that stage, I was still working as an electrician. Um, and yeah, I just really enjoyed like the competition, the environment, the people. Um, and I just knew that I wanted to be yeah, part of that sort of industry, I guess. Um, and when I got back from that pers- first powerlifting comp, I started uh, working towards my studies in PT, um, working alongside as as an electrician. Um, and then, yeah, in like the first year or so, then I completed and I sort of made my transition over to the industry um, and never looked back, man. Never looked back. Yeah, mate, it's a, it's a wicked industry. And it's so rewarding once you find what you're passionate about. And um, like, because you start off in powerlifting, did you, did you always have an idea that's like the road, road you want to go down was that strength side? I think like just the first comp, the atmosphere, um, the engagement with like the other people there. Uh, I just wanted to recreate that and I guess show other people like what was out there. Um, a lot yeah. of people that I had known like wanted to get involved in bodybuilding um, and just had never had a great experience with it. But yeah, people in powerlifting, just a, just a different sort of atmosphere behind stage uh, and people just supporting each other as well. And so my goal was to try and recreate that for just your everyday sort of person um, and yeah, we've definitely done that. I feel in my uh, time at PPS as well. Love that, man. So it's been about five years since you first started. Yeah, I think about five. Yeah, and what's uh, what's been some of your biggest highlights over the past five years? Man, uh, we've had heaps of like, I guess, interclub uh, experiences within PPS. So we hold like yeah. our own interclub comps for like novice lifters, first timers, because most of our, I guess, client base is like general pop. Yeah. Um, and so we've had like interclub comps where first timers have jumped onto the platform. Um, like interclub comp back in sort of 2018 was like my first one. Um, and the first time we actually ran one. Um, and to just take that atmosphere from like a proper powerlifting comp and then give it to people who w- were maybe never going to jump on the powerlifting platform. Um, yeah. Just to see like, yeah, see them enjoy it. Uh, the messages afterwards and all that sort of um, stuff was just great to, to kind of get people a part of. And it really, yeah, it really affirmed to me that I was on the right path with what I was doing with just, yeah, how much people were enjoying it. Love it, man. And I think that's um, like, uh, I suppose you're similar, but like what I love most about strength and strength training and being a strength athlete and coaching people from being like your normal gen pop to eventually becoming strength athletes is that you're it's so measurable. 
and it's so rewarding mm. when you when you go up and actually wrap it like what used to be your old PB, or if you you know go up five kilos or something, and like it might be only two and a half percent, but that big increase it just gives you such a rush, or you hit that goal number. It's um, ah, it's so good. Yeah, and a lot of it is like showing people kind of what they're capable of. Um, yeah. You talk to people and be like, man, we're going to work our way up to like a two hundred squat, and they're like, man, I could never do that. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. Lo and behold, six months later, they're doing it. They might be doing it for reps. Um, and they're just the, uh, the look of achievement um, in their face just shows them like that untapped potential that they have. Yeah, for sure, man. And like, uh, it's probably like guys are probably a little bit more, they've got probably a bit more self-confidence than the general female. Mm. But like, um, for, I work with a lot of female clients and just getting them to work up to those heavier weights and be confident with it and like believe in themselves and what they're actually capable of. Mm. And it's like such a stigma behind like, you know, girls, uh, not so much now, I suppose, but more so a few years ago, such a stigma behind females lifting heavy and getting bulky. And it's like the females that lift heavy look the best. It's like, you know, just yeah. you can shift some weight and you've got some good lean muscle mass, you've got awesome physique. So uh, that's a, sure. that's a whole other thing too. For sure, man, that confidence yeah. definitely comes. Um, same for females in our community, like maybe getting into the gym, never having touched a barbell before, um, working up to 100 kilo deads, 120 kilo yeah. deads. Um, and then just feeling like they can walk into a gym, walk up to the weight section yeah. uh, and be comfortable more than anything. Yeah, 100%. Again, that confidence back. And like, uh, even like when we talk about numbers, um, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for round numbers. I just like a nice round. I don't know about you, but I'm, right. I love a nice <laughs> round number. So, you know, like that 100 kilo, that 200 kilo mark, it's just yep. like, uh, it just does, it does sign to you mentally. It does really does release some good endorphins. For sure, man. Uh, there's always something about having like a particular outcome to kind of work towards. Yeah, yeah. And how important is that? Like, um, in your opinion, like from coaching perspective, how important is it to have those clearly set goals? And if there's a message you can give to people listening, um, what do you think like the biggest thing is with setting goals? When we sort of break it down in our community, and this is heavily influenced by uh, one of our coaches, Luke Tomlin, um, yep. we have a few ways to sort of break down goals. We have like an outcome that they're kind of working towards. And that's sort of like a measurable target, a 200 kilo deadlift, lose 10 kilos of body fat. You have a process goal as well. So there's no way you're going to achieve that outcome without a process. Okay. I'm going to train twice per week. I'm going to eat my meal plan or stick to my macros or whatever. And then there's a learning based goal as well. So what can I actually do or what do I have to learn? What skills do I have to develop in order to get me the outcome in order to get me through the process as well. So breaking it down and having like a solid, like North star to aim for, and then like, Hey, what are the actions that I can commit to every day? And then what do I have to learn or what skills do I have to develop in order to achieve those? Hey, that's brilliant. I think, I think that last one there is something a lot of coaches really miss out on is mm-hmm. uh, not so much like, I mean, coaches, but I mean, coaching clients and missing out on what is that coachable or learnable um, uh, trait or lesson they can learn that will be an everyday thing that will get them step closer towards their goals. Uh, that's For you. Sure. Yeah. Because I suppose a lot of people, they go, all right, um, I want to come in and I want to deadlift 200 kilos. Um, just get me there, whatever it takes. And it's like, all right, cool. This is what you have to do. They're like, oh, you mean I have to do this every day? It's like, you have to, you know, whether it's working on mobility, whether it's working on structural balance or whether it's just eating enough food to perform right and like managing stress sure. levels. It's like all those little things all play a major role, right? There's a huge part, I think, that 
most people miss out on. And I think a big part that separates sort of coaches and trainers as well as the education process, you're essentially taking someone from where they are now. Maybe they're not in a confident position to train on their own or they don't have the skills yet. Uh, and you're developing those skills through their own self-assessment. Uh, and that's just going to lead to a longer transition of them being able to be comfortable in the weight room because you want to prepare them for the time when you're eventually not going to be coaching them anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got the skills to be able to go in and man, select their own warm-ups or know how to unrack a bar and stuff like that. That's a that's a huge point too. And I think that that gets missed in the in the rush of some trainers out there is learning like teaching people how to do things without you being there and like understand that you know everything that you try to teach them is a lifelong lesson whether it's strength sure. whether it's performance whether it's body composition it's like if you if you're 100% reliant on that coach over you know after being with them for a year it's like have you learned anything it's like you're about to walk away some life lessons right Absolutely. And it not only breeds sort of sustainability for people as well, because yeah, some people might not be in a position to be able to afford that service long-term, but it also doesn't breed any sustainability for a coach that, man, if you want to take time off, like your clients can't cope without you, like (laughs) what are you supposed to do? Yeah. Where's the sustainability in that sort of method? So yeah, it's a process of education and taking people from cool. They might need a little bit more supervision, a bit more help early on, but ultimately breeding autonomy over the course of their guest training career yeah love it man and that's um that's really important too is uh looking at training age of people and how long they've been trained for is that fine is that something that you calculate into people's goals when they're setting those and training as well for sure we sort of take people on like i guess like a client timeline um so someone might join in obviously different circumstances maybe they've been training for a while maybe they've never touched a bar before uh, and then you're sort of calculating what's going to be the best exposure to them early on and then as they sort of progress to that timeline, it's sitting down with them and having those discussions and being like, look, man, in order for you to get to where you want to get, where you can train on your own, make better decisions, these are the skills you need to develop. Uh, and we do that in amongst our sort of semi-private community. Then people move on to training on their own with just coaching. Um, so we're taking people, uh, I guess, along like a timeline. Yeah, that's that's cool, man. Like, I think that's the key right there, what you guys do so well at PPS is that community base, that um, semi-private training where it's so community based and you get, it's not, it's not just the individual athlete versus the individual athlete and not on the other side of the room. It's like everyone's there to support each other and everyone's there to grow as a team. And I think that's, um, you know, Johnny, big coots, Johnny and you guys there is that you do so well at that. And that's what creates that, um, that, you know, that, uh, I'm looking for that, that celebratory culture. Where, yeah, that culture. Yeah, hundred percent. You get that culture, and you get that. Uh, you get that hype behind it. That's just that's what you need. It's the best, man. Some of the some of the best times that I've ever had in my career, in my life, have been when I've been coaching. Um, and it's just yeah, a lot of great people just doing things that they love, celebrating each other. Um, and it's just made for some of the best times. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. And I think from a coach uh, coaching side, right, is that. Those achievements that you see in your clients or the people that you're coaching, just it, it's more, it's almost more rewarding than your own uh, personal achievements under the bar sometimes. For sure, man. I definitely care a lot less about my own lifting now than I yeah. used to. Uh, and yeah. it's more rewarding seeing other people achieve their milestones versus mine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm honestly, mate, I'm the same. Like, uh, you know, if I go back for well, last time I compared would have been just over a year ago in strongman then previous about two years ago in powerlifting. And like mm-hmm. a lot of my focus was, you know, I'm trying to get my numbers up and now I just like done my competing. I'm happy. I like where my numbers are like as a casual 
gauge of strength and like I just get so mm. much joy out of watching people hit some like good numbers or just you know getting guys to comps or helping like in those novice comps right just running those and just giving people that chance to step on the platform and experience like you said experience that uh comp like feel where they can just like max it out safe environment good energy it's just that's that's what it should be about for sure man there's there's definitely like a big thing, I guess, for like some guys, it's like, man, the first time they hit their 100 kilos on the bench or ladies like crossing the 60 kilo bench barrier yeah. or 100 kilo deads, like that's just huge. Yeah. And it might seem, I guess, for people looking into like strength athletes, they might think, oh, it's just insignificant. Uh, but for them, like it's it's huge. That's a, that's a whole thing, man. Like I get so hyped. Like, uh, yeah, 100 kilo bench for a guy in this day and age is like, that's that's huge because, you know, so many sure. guys... Like, you know, if we go back, that general workforce probably 20 years ago, maybe more, mm. that went to the gym, the general workforce that went to the gym 20 years ago, maybe more labor intensive. So, you know, a guy could come in and bench 100 kilos, if he was a bricky all day or a concreter or something yeah. like that, or a scaffolder, um, probably closer to 200, to be honest. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, like nowadays, like most guys that go to the gym, uh, corporate guys, right? So they're not physically laborious all day. So hitting a 100 kilo bench is uh, a huge muscle. For sure, man. It took me years to bench my first hundred. <laughs> <laughs> What's your where did your strength journey start? Like is so your first comp was in twenty seventeen. Two thousand seventeen, yeah. Yeah, did you start training at an earlier age? Um, I think I originally started training when I was like seventeen. So yeah. in my like last year of high school. I think the whole reason I joined the gym when I was seventeen was to get jacked for levers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> that, because what year was that? Oh, uh, two thousand eleven? Yeah, there we go, mate. So, like, I remember, because how old are you? You're 20, 27 now. Yeah, 27. Yeah, well, I'm 28, mate. And I remember the only times I'd put in some serious work in the gym back then was uh, for stereos and futures. Nice. nice. <laughs> yeah, it was like stereo. Stereo so it was kind of up, like, right, time to get a pump on. Let's go. <laughs> nice. So I can understand yeah, I think that. I, yeah. I, I think I originally got into it, yeah, for, for levers, and then it sort of, progress from there and i reckon that my training was definitely not very serious up until the ages of like 21 and then i sort of started to get into powerlifting yeah um or just sort of strength training i think the first program i followed was like lane norton's phat that's a good and program then sort of progressing there yeah, <laughs> yeah still run it since today yeah 100 <laughs> um, like um yeah and then just sort of roll through that and it just i guess like i talked to a lot of people here you kind of get bitten by the iron bug once you sort of start to see those numbers increase then you just want more uh you're always looking yeah. for the next thing yeah 100 man um and that's a that's a good point like having us like having a program from around that early age and having some guidance i think is paramount to one keeping away injuries but two also progressing over a long period of time do you feel like if you could say a message to younger guys to get along with a lot of young guys who listen and girls who listen to this sure. podcast is um, what sort of message could you say to them if they're starting out and they're interested in strength training? I think just to, you know, stay consistent, you definitely have to pick up a program, whether it's working with a coach or just sticking to something uh, and just staying consistent for the long term, um, trying to obviously progressively overload. Uh, and you'll make, yeah, you'll make good enough progress to the point where if you want to take it more individual, start working with a coach. But I started working with a coach early and I think it's probably the best thing that I ever did for my lifting personally. Yeah, yeah, man, 100%. Um, that's a similar thing with me is like, because uh, I used to play rugby a lot when I was younger. So right. you know, you're in the weights room after a rugby session, just trying to, all you used to do was try and max out a bench and deadlift. That was kind of all you <laughs> as, a, 
as a friggin' uh, Ford and a rugby pack. But um, for sure, yeah. when I when I got older, again probably around the same age, you around that 20, 22, 23 mark. Uh, I got a coach, got my first coach who was uh, running strength, yep. uh, semi-private strength sessions at a raw down in Coburn cool. there. Oh, cool. Uh, Mike Thornton is name. He's still around. Yep. And um, yeah, and like he had just finished, uh, I think it was back in 2015, and he had just finished the, the one of the first courses that Australian strength coach came over to do. So yep. Yep. And squat bench and dead. And literally everything mm. I learned from that being my first proper weightlifting weight coach um, mm. is – I still carry across the today because you don't, you don't forget those skills, right? That's the lifetime yeah. skills. And, you know, that message to younger guys is, you know, take away the ego because I know it's like when you're in the gym, you just think you know it all and you just want to max out. For and sure. You're like, oh, no one can tell me what to do. It's like, as soon as you open up that mind and just become a bit more uh, open-minded towards having that mm. help, like those are skills you're going to learn for life. For sure, man. Um, one of the coaches talks about it a lot is that white belt mentality. So, you're forever a student uh, and especially in powerlifting, weightlifting, whatever you're sort of doing, you're for, if you adopt that mentality of being forever a student, then you're only ever going to get better. Uh, and that's just, yeah, a really good way to approach, I guess, training in general. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, uh, yeah, I like that. I'm, I'm going to seal that white belt mentality. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's Trade, mate. yeah, yeah. That's, that's brilliant because that, it's so true. Like, um, and you, I don't know if you experience this much yourself, but you get guys that walk in like, yeah, I know how to lift heavy. And you see them lift heavy. And it's like, oh, God. Um, this is <laughs> like split squat. And they like fall over after one rep. For sure. Oh, we've got some work to do. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it can be very hard. It can be very hard to uh, drop the ego, uh, especially yeah. if you, yeah, you have your identity wrapped up in it, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think that's... Uh, I know, like, personally, anytime someone comes to coach with me, they've taken that step towards, or they're even just reaching out for help. Like, they've just taken that uh, step towards letting their guard down and being, um, you know, that first step towards being coachable. Um, and that's, uh, I, yeah, again, do you find that yourself, that you get clients that are harder to coach than others? For sure. I think, uh, as I said, like, it's a learning process uh, and everyone comes in a different stage. But I think as I've progressed over my coaching career, like early on someone would come in and maybe they'd say they'd have a bit of experience or they'd, they'd show me their numbers or something like that. And I'd be like, Oh yeah, like this person's probably knows all this sort of stuff. And and now it's definitely like everyone that comes in is just a blank slate uh, and just start from the very beginning, because there's a lot of people out there who are uh, talented and very strong naturally, um, but miss a lot of those sort of foundations that lead to sort of long-term strength. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, that's a very good topic to bring up. Uh, Long-term strength. What's your what's your views on how to progress over that long term, and what is uh what are some pitfalls or things you think people go wrong with? I think from my experience, um, just dealing with a lot of injuries, which were probably self-inflicted um, from maybe going too heavy, not uh, sticking to my program. So, if I could give any advice that's, to people out the there, reason, that's the number one cause: not sticking to the program. <laughs> pretty much, and it seems yeah. easy, but it is hard when you're dealing with uh, the psychology of a lifter. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, a lot of a lot of my really stuff. Good day. <laughs> you just go and you're like, sure. today's a fucking good day. <laughs> um, my coach likes to, or the coaching team that I was with, Melbourne Strength, they call it uh, the big wave surfer. So yeah. a big wave surfer waits for the biggest swell when they go out. And then when the days where the swell is just normal, they just take it easy. They cruise. Maybe they don't go out in the water. So it's sort of just... I guess, blending the days together. Some days there's going to be days where you're just going to have to tick the boxes uh, and get it done. But then when you feel good, 
then it's a day to really push hard. So I think back in my early days of strength training, it was push hard all the time. And now it's a lot more just uh, cruising, cruising. And then when the good days are there, just taking them as they come. Yeah. Yeah. Another analogy I like to use is it's like, it's like owning a really fast car. It's like, you're so tempted when you first hop in it, just to friggin' put your foot through the floor every straight that you come across where there's no speed cameras. For sure. Um, after a while of driving it, you realize the best way to drive it is choose very carefully when you put your foot down, which might only be like once a week or once a month or something, mm. right? But um, you, you yep. pick and choose those uh, times to really put it down. For sure. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. And um, that's, I think that's the best thing uh, about setting those little goals for people like, you know, for example, novice comps or powerlifting comps, giving them that yep. thing. And it's like, all right, cool. So we're starting off here. We're like, you no, know, might be 12 weeks out. And for the next mm. six weeks, it's this sort of rep range. And then we're going to taper down to singles and then you get to max out a comp. And like giving people that little strategy or giving people that uh, periodization, I think helps a lot mentally as well. Just keep them not maxing out infrequently. For sure. I like to do like um, even across a training block, I'll just set myself like mini targets. Okay, I'm going to start the training block at X weight. And by the end of the training block, eventually I want to try and hit X weight. So aiming for that over the course of the training block helped keep me aligned, like I guess, phase to phase, cycle to cycle. Yeah, that's a good point. Even like volume goals for um, you mm, volume. Absolutely. Training, like trying to hit that uh, total volume if it's like just you know, use a basic example of three by five on bench or something. It's like, over those sets by the end of this phase, I want to hit this amount, you know, that weight for X amount of reps. And so going, oh, I'm going to quickly sure. one rep max because I don't feel strong today. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a good way to like keep that, it right? in line. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, this is something I've done previously um, for listeners out there is that whenever I've been sick and I've had a few days off the gym, the only thing I want to go do is just go do a heavy one rep max. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just like this seems Fair like enough. the greatest time because i'm like i done nothing my body's had a full deload yeah. great time to go max out even though it's not a true one at max it's more like just getting the body moving again yeah um, yeah, yeah i recommend it's definitely it yeah. out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard thing to uh push back i guess for sure yeah yeah especially if you've got that type of mentality right and uh um i'll get your opinion on this actually this is a, a post hmm. about a little while ago and i was like sure one of the reasons why uh, that drives us now as a species to lift real heavy shit is that hunter killer instinct that's um, you know been taken away from us because we can't hunt and kill anymore. It's like that sure. next best thing is just lifting something really fucking heavy. I think um, a lot of it is, I guess, maybe just that. Yeah, like you said, that hunter killer mentality. You want to you want to do something. You want to feel powerful. Whether it's yeah. like I don't know that boost of adrenaline that you get. I know for me, like before preparing for like a big lift or something, like I can feel my skin start to crawl. Like I just feel, yeah, that heightened level of arousal, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> arousal in a, uh, not in a sexual sense. <laughs> Adrenal. Adrenal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you literally feel like you can run through a brick wall. For sure. For yeah. sure. And that's a, that's a feeling I think, um, that makes you, like you said, you get bitten by that iron bug. Is that it makes you want to chase it, and regardless of what your goal is, if you look at like the the biggest bodybuilders or the strongest people in the world, they all lift real heavy shit, and it's that constant mm. need to progressively overload and add more kilograms to the bar that essentially grows a bigger, stronger athlete. For sure, and it makes you resilient, uh, resilient to anything. You can yeah. lift heavy weights in the gym. You can undergo failures. When hurdles come at you at life, you can apply that sort of same mentality. 
Yeah, that's that's a really good point too. Is um, the failure aspect of strength training? I think it keeps people so honest um, mm. and knowing that you're not going to succeed every single day. Yes, you can have a plan. Yes, you can have a coach. Yes, you can go. All right, this is what I'm going to do for this amount of weeks. Nothing always goes to plan, and that's a for sure. That's a hard pill for some people to swallow. Um, but absolutely, that's probably the thing I love most about strength training, particularly when I say strength training, like trying to train particularly to get stronger. Um, mm. For people who are confused with what strength training is, uh, it's sure. so humbling in the fact that you know that at certain periods, you like you said, you have to take your foot off, and you have to. You might fail a testing session, or you might fail on the last set or last rep, and that's okay. Like it's not ideal every single time, but that's part of the process, mm. right? Absolutely. Yeah. And there's going to be good days and bad days. And when people move towards competitions, there's going to be competitions that you go to and maybe it's just not there on the day. Yeah. Um, but your goal is your goal is just to get better than you previously were. Uh, and that can come by any means 1% better each day. Yeah. And sometimes getting better is just managing that uh, emotion that comes down with failure. Mm. Um, I think in this day and age, we had a lot of people who are so afraid to fail. Um mm. They might, I'm just going to use an example of an imaginary person, but they might be a straight A student all their life and they, you know, they get praised at work and they're really successful at their career. They come in with all this high expectation, then you get them under the bar and they crumble with 60 kilos on their back. They're like, it's okay to fail. It's like, we just got to rebuild. We just got to, we got to look at where, where we're going and how we're going to get there. Like it's never going to be a straight arrow. And there's going to be some days that you come in, you might have a stressful day at work and your body does not want to cooperate with you, which is okay. We just got to look at how we, how we manage that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just, yeah, applying that same sort of resilience. If you can build up a good relationship with failure, then you're pretty much unstoppable. Yeah. Hundred percent, and I think that's a big key to happiness too. Is that learning that failure is just uh, there's no real failure; it's just lessons learned. Yeah, it's all part of the journey. Yeah, hundred percent, man. What's uh, what's some other messages out there you could give out to listeners who are interested in um, who may be a bit more experienced in strength training and feel like they're plateaued? Um, I guess it's yeah, just applying those same lessons, um, like. If it's comp to comp, um, if you've been training for a few years, if you've been competing for a while, it's just taking solace in those sort of small wins. I guess celebrating the wins is probably the biggest thing that sticks out for me. Um, there's going to be years, I guess, same for like myself recently, like there might be not much progress between lifts over the years, but it's just, yeah, chipping away, um, trying to get better at just the foundations uh, and always, yeah, thinking about what you can do to, to excel. Um, and that can be just small things. So celebrate the wins um, and just stick in it for the long term. It's a, it's a decade long, uh, decade century long uh, progress. Yeah. It really is a lifetime uh, commitment. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not like a six month get strong and forget about it. <laughs> it's like, you gotta, you gotta constantly, it's like, it's like building a wall, right? You just got to build that brick, brick at a time every single day. Some sure. days, not every brick's exactly the same. Um, <laughs> there's another topic I was going to bring up about the, uh, actually, yeah, here we go. So talking about plateaus again. So what's, uh, mm. what's the methods? I don't know if you want to share with people, but totally up to you. But like, yeah. what are some training methods that you like to, I suppose, your bread and butter when it comes down to building strength and then getting through plateaus? Um, I guess it depends on kind of where you are at in your training journey. Um, obviously, when you're early on, you're going to be sort of hyper-responsive to anything and you're probably going to see success um, regardless of if you're doing it right or wrong. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> um, but it's probably... 
Yeah, probably yeah. more evident, I guess, when you're, yeah, when you've been training for a few years and it just goes back to that, like making sure that your foundations are right. And then I guess getting a good balance of kind of what you enjoy versus what you need to do to succeed. So it's like a scale, I guess, or a seesaw. You yeah. need a little bit of what you are need. You need a little bit of what's good for you. And then you need a little bit of what you enjoy as well. So finding that in your training or if you're working with a coach, letting them know like, hey, I don't enjoy doing this or let's try this for the next block uh, and just having a really good relationship. And I think it's important to have a coaching, I guess, someone to work with or a coaching team or something so you can really bounce ideas off, tell them how you feel. uh, And obviously going with someone that's probably experienced in that area is a big thing. Yeah, and that's uh, that's a big point too. Is that communication between coach client mm. having that uh, having that humility um, and understanding that nothing great was ever built in silence. Like you have to absolutely. It has to be clear communication. Like analogy I use to people is that Rome wasn't built in a day, and it also wasn't built in silence. Like the Colosseum wasn't sure. built without instruction and feedback and constant um, constant planning, right? And that planning takes communication on what works and what doesn't work. And when you look at mm. a client from a coaching side, it's like you need to be receptive to that feedback from them to help them move forward. And then they need to be the same with you to be able to move forward themselves. So it is, it really is a game yeah. of uh, basketball, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're trying to essentially design their journey through, I guess, your own experience, but then having an input um, a lot of people just think that, oh, I just do whatever my coach sort of tells me to do. But yeah, as you said, communication works from both parties. So it's about, okay, letting my coach know where I'm at, what will ultimately help me succeed and then relying on their experience, I guess, and their knowledge to help guide the path. Yeah, yeah 100%. Um, let's go back to uh, some basics. So you get a client come to you again, completely up to you if you want to share this, but more so for people mm-hmm. listening, uh, especially new sure. PTs coming up and new strength coaches. So what would be your run through if you've got a client come to you, they've just like, you know, they've got a reasonable level of strength. Let's say use a scenario guy, he can bench comfortably 80 kilos for a couple of reps, deadlift 150, uh, squat maybe 140, 130 for a couple of reps. What would be your mm. go-to then to progress them on to as big goals and competing? Man, I normally use, uh, I guess it's like a rule of three with myself. There's, I feel there's three things that are going to influence someone's progress long-term and that are going to influence their strength. The first thing is their mobility. So mobility allows them to get, get into better positions. So first and foremost, helping them get into better positions for whatever lifts they might be, I guess, struggling with or want to develop long-term. Secondly, making sure that the lift is the most efficient that it can be through what are their biomechanics like? What are they moving like? What, I guess, path is the bar traveling uh, and then three is just sort of that general strength. So getting someone generally stronger through just, yeah, multiple volume phases, eating in a surplus is going to help them long-term. And if you can, yeah, nail those three, which sound easy when you put it on paper, uh, but then when you overlay it on top of life and all the external stresses, then it can be difficult. But those are the three sort of principles that I'll stick to for most people, which would probably include, include some sort of screen of mobility, some form of, yeah, watching of their lifts, and then from there, just designing a program that's going to help them to build general strength as well. And that's a, that's a good point. That second point there I really like about um, the efficiency of a lift. Uh, that, that's huge because at the end of the day, uh, in powerlifting or when you're particularly trained to get a one rep max stronger, is that you're trying to move a weight from point A to point B in the most efficient way possible. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, let's, uh, what's your, what's one lift you want to break down? I'll let you choose and we can just go into it a bit if you want. Man, the, the deadlift, my favorite. Yeah, wicked. Let's do that. So, yeah, deadlift. So, um, what's, uh, what do you see some big points uh, for making sure that lift is moving efficiently? I think a lot of times when I talk to people about the deadlift, we're trying to get the bar to move like on a bit of a diagonal, whereas sort yeah. of most people will bring their body to sort of meet the bar and it's moving in like a bit of a straight line, especially for sumo, I guess. In this example, it's more specific to sumo um, and just what I've found in my experience is we're trying to get that bar to move like on a bit of a diagonal. So that means that when we're setting up to close to the bar, especially for sumo pullers, that you're not too close that when you go down for it, you kick it forward and then it moves like forwards and back, which is inefficient. But getting the bar to sort of settle in a position where it can just move literally from point A to point B with the least resistance possible and your body moving in the best possible patterns as well. Yeah, and that's a, that's a big thing too, is that best possible, best possible patterns or that path of least, least resistance with the, because everyone has different femur links. They're always going to have different mm-hmm. um, hip socket depth as well. So when you look at that, that's going to affect things like stance, uh, feet position and ways of um, angle as well. And then also that leverage point of like how much leverage can they pull back to get that diagonal pull back on that bar. That's uh, that's huge. And For sure. like, like I said, that a lot of people, there, there's a, there's quite a significant difference between the sumo mm. and conventional. Um, I'm, sure. not a, I'm not a great sumo puller. Uh, my body's much better at conventional, but um, you know I have a lot of clients who are just a lot better at sumo deadlifting. So that's for what sure. I, that's what I'm coaching for. And knowing for coaches out there listening that there is a significant difference in um, conventional and uh, sumo. So yeah, let's bring up some points about that. What do you what are your main sure. points of difference in the sumo and conventional? Well, I think when it comes down to kind of prescribing which one is better for lifters, there's no real like scientific way to kind of prove it. You're oh, not going to really be able to, if, some, if someone has like longer femurs, like you've already kind of mentioned, then you might gravitate towards that. But it's more or less what they feel is the best, yeah. I guess, lift for them. Uh, a lot of people who might get like excessive back pain in conventional positions um, who struggle to hold like an upright torso, then maybe moving them towards sumo is going to be better just because they're probably going to enjoy the transition a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of the, that's the sort of th- principles that I've applied to most lifters that I would transition from like conventional to sumo. But I still think, yeah, sumo, a lot more technical to learn, even yeah, though sure. people might say it's easier. <laughs> um, it's technique, man. But yeah. You can be up by that mil. You can like, sumo, you can be up by like two mil and the bar's not going to leave the fucking ground. Conventional, mm. it can be up by a fucking inch and you can still somehow manage to muscle it up. You can just ragdoll conventional. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> just scale drag it all the way up. <laughs> I always like to say that uh, sumo is for cultured people. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why I'm not a sumo deadlifter. <laughs> I think old. the... <laughs> the biggest thing as well for like we've already kind of mentioned about the differences in them and, and moving in the most efficient way the most underutilized tool that a lot of people can use is just filming their lifts yeah, and then reviewing 100%. them you'd be you'd be surprised at what you can pick up just yeah your general looking at it you'd be like yeah something's up there <laughs> yeah yeah you can see like most people um, like when they come there for a session with me or first consultation, I should say, mm. uh, if it's in person, I'll always get them to we'll go down, we'll go downstairs on the gym floor and just get them to do a couple of basic movements, whether it's body weight or like single leg, you know, split squat or whatever it is. And then if everything looks ready to go, I'm like, cool, you know, you've done, you may have done deadlifts before. Let's just have a look at how mm. you do it. Get, pick up the bar, show me. 
And I'll film them and play it back to them like, holy shit, look at that. Look sure. at that. And they're like, wow, I can be in a better position. I'm like, have you never filmed yourself before? Like, it's like yeah. this amazing device that we pay thousands of friggin' dollars <laughs> for, this amazing camera, and you don't use it to correct your own technique. What is wrong with you? It's, um, yeah, yeah. it's an amazing tool to use for that. It's huge. And, and like we've already sort of touched on, if you want to build autonomy within your training, like you need to have good skills of self-assessment and yeah. filming your sets is literally the, the easiest thing you can do um, to just build on those skills of autonomy. Yeah. And half time for my online clients after probably about, you know, a couple of months of doing their weekly check-ins and sending me their videos and me going, cool, let's, you know, adjust this or adjust that or pull a little bit more this way or, you know, for whatever reason, left side wasn't driving as much as right. Mm. They'll start sending me cues before they send me their videos. Like, oh, I watched my video and this, 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 this. I'm like, cool, you're self-coaching. This is great. It means you're yeah. learning. Like you got to that point where they can see what you can see. And that's a, that's a skill right there in helping people do that. Yeah, absolutely. And then you're leading people to a to a point where you're not, I guess, towering over them. You're more facilitating their own development. Yeah, and then you can focus more on the creative side of programming and doing things they enjoy, getting the peaking for condition because they they can do that in between sets. They might have five sets. They're like, yeah, okay, my fourth or my second and fourth set were my best sets. And they like send you a video of their worst mm. set, their best set, and they give those little cues. And I think like once a client gets to that point, I'm just like, I'm just so proud. I'm like, this is great. I'm like, this client is like switched on, they're learning, they're really engaged in what they're doing. And um, that's that's important for an athlete to get to that point. It's huge, man. Um, a lot of the time, like in examples where we have like semi-private training at PPS, we'll have clients that have been there for a long time and eventually like they're taking over the coaching aspect of it. Um, and it helps elevate their own social status within their community. Like, like they, they get looked at as a leader um, yeah. and they're doing something they enjoy and they're helping again um, to create that cycle of autonomy within other people. So building them up and also helping to build up others. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, going back to that sumo deadlift too, like what are some of your major cues that you use for um, sumo deadlifters? Um, I think the biggest thing that's always sort of helped me is just the breathing. So yeah. number one, just trying to make sure that I breathe and brace. So if you're in that sort of sumo position, my biggest uh, pet peeve is making sure that you do breathe at the bottom of the lift when you're in position rather than breathe at the top and then come down and then breathe again. So yeah. breathing at the bottom of the lift and understanding that when you brace, you're trying to push your stomach out, not suck it in. A lot of people think maybe I need to suck my stomach into my belt, but pushing the stomach out so you can yeah get as much intra-abdominal pressure as possible. Uh, and then just utilizing the glutes the best as possible. So when you're in that sumo position, that wide stance, that you're actually feeling it from the glutes and that you can actually like feel your connection to the ground when you push away versus literally just, yeah, just pushing for, for no reason yet. So just breathing, bracing, and just feeling that connection. The glutes, ultimately, we're driving hip extension through them. So trying to get them to do the most work and feel it, feel that connection to it. That's that's a huge one, man. I think that's that's major too, is understanding that you're trying to really drive back. That first, I think the biggest thing that I would coach people with sumo is getting that leverage point as you start to pull in, like pulling mm. back into the bar instead of just yep. trying to pull up, like you were talking about that diagonal yep. pull, is that's a that's a huge game changer where people will come in and they'll, they may have sumo deadlifted before or even if it's mm. the first time. And I struggled with, um, I had a client the other day, he's a, he's, a, he's been training for 30 years. Um, wow. He's a, he's a sort of dude that's been benching, he, he benched, he's, I think he's got up to like 190 on bench before he injured his shoulder. Wow. Um, just a strong dude. 
Um, but mm. is, you know, he was benching three or four times a week for like 30 years. Yep. <laughs> like didn't do yeah, much yeah. squats or deadlifts, just a generally strong dude. Then he tore, tore a ligament in his shoulder from trying to unrack 200. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and this is, this is going back back a few years ago. He's only just, he started, he's been coaching with me for about six months now and um, yep. never, never really done deadlifts without hurting himself before. Comes in, and he's like struggling with uh, five by five on hundred. Yeah. And then that one cue of just, I just want you to leverage back and just stand upright. Mm. Like I just want you yep. to pull back against that bar and stand upright. Next thing we had two hundred kilos on the bar and just flew up with like wow. perfect technique. I'm like, holy fuck, like, that's it. And he was so <laughs> pumped. He was like, fuck, I never thought I'd see the day of deadlifting two hundred and like literally for a nice. week he's on a high. But you know, when you get people like yeah. that, that uh. You, you get them to tick off something that they, in their mind, they thought was like so impossible. And yet, in like sure. little cues that just hit and they just hit it. And yeah, that's the sweet spot. It's a good, uh, a good lesson as well with, with coaches. Like when you're utilizing cueing, you're more or less trying to, I guess, get your message across to the person that understands it in a certain way. So yeah. for him, saying lean back made more sense than like I'll push the ground away or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And a good, a good assessment tool for coaches is to be able to be like, okay, what am I actually trying to get this person to achieve? And then a bit of trial and error around how I get them to actually achieve it. Because yeah, if your your general person's not going to be able to understand like the uh, anatomical positions they want to try and get into. So it's more or less uh, making sure that it's kept nice and simple. Yeah. Big time, man. I think, that's the key is uh, the more, I suppose, the more like yourself. I suppose, because uh, I've been in the industry, it'll be August, we five years. I've been coaching for now, yep. or 18. Um, mm-hmm. And like every year, you just get a little bit better and you almost use less cues, you yep. use less words. You can just say less things to get people in better positions. And I don't know if you're guilty of this yourself, but when I first started out, I was like, fuck, I remember trying to teach someone a conventional deadlift my first month of coaching. And there must have been about 50 different fucking cues I used. I was like, all right, cool. So I, want you to, I want you to stand there. I want you to look at the bar. You're going to be one inch away from the bar. And then you're going to look down yep. at the bar. And then you're going to look back up. And you're going to reach down for the bar. The hands have to be exactly this. And then, you're gonna <laughs> and then your heel's going to do this. And your elbow's going to do this. And then your pinky finger. I was like, what the fuck, is it? What the fuck am I saying? I think that now, yeah. I'm like, what a dick. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. don't overcomplicate it, eh? It's a, uh, a journey I think every coach goes on. I'm the same, man. When I first started, uh, I used to say a lot of stuff and I feel like now that I barely speak. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's a, a journey that everyone has to go on and it might come from a place of ego, like being like, okay, I have to prove to this person that I'm uh, as smart as possible so that they'll, uh, they'll keep doing business with me. <laughs> yeah. Do you, know, do you know what I learned? Whack on a pair of glasses. That's all you need to do. Yeah, to nice. Start. <laughs> these these like, don't even have lenses, man. No, no, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I could wear contacts, but I look way smarter if I just keep my glasses on, so they stay on. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, um, but that's it, right? It's like the simplicity. And I did uh, did a podcast. Mm. You know, you heard of Richard Collins from Physique Code? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did a podcast with him, and pretty much the whole hour we just talking about the simplicity of uh, coaching mm. and like how you know, in his time of fifteen years of coaching, like it's just. It's the basics that get you there. And I think when I, and again, I don't know about yourself, but um, something that mm. I did is on as I progressed or thought I was progressing in my own strength, I would um, mm. and get different programs and trial different programs is I'd try to overcomplicate the fuck out programs with different rep ranges, yeah. and giant sets and fucking supersets and then different wave loading methods, which all great and all have their mm. place. But just got to the point where 
I realized literally the most basic sets and reps are going to get you stronger if you just progress over a long period of time. Absolutely. The foundations of training are the same as they were years ago, many years ago, and they will continue to be for many years to come. And I think, yeah, a lot of the time, and it's probably exacerbated with social media as well, but yeah, yeah, the foundations work and good coaches out there do the foundations well and communicate well. Yeah, for sure, man. What's uh, Here's a good one for you. What's the craziest program you've done? The craziest? I think you wouldn't early give to many people. I would never... I would never recommend it. Uh, when I first got in the gym, I think I did Shaco's program, which is like the Bulgarian method. Oh, um, so yeah. I think ben- benching moderate to heavy, maybe four to five times a week. And I just ended up with like really bad elbow pains. Um, so yeah. yeah, really high intensity, really high frequency. Um, and I just thought I was an absolute king because I was doing it. <laughs> oh, mate. But yeah, would not recommend. Yeah. <laughs> The craziest you heard of the small off squat program, yeah? Yeah, yeah. That would be probably close second. <laughs> yeah. And you heard of the Norwegian squat program? Similar I don't know if I've heard of the Norwegian one, but I, I could imagine it's pretty similar, yeah. <laughs> so I did week on, week off on each one of those. So mm. week on was the high percentage of the four times a week squatting. So that um, yep. start off at 70, 75, 80, 90. And then yep. the, every fortnight after that, you go up 5%. On the week in between, the Norwegian method was you squat as many times as your body can possibly handle. So if you could squat seven days a week, um, but the percentages were a lot lower. So it started at like 55, 60, 65, up to 75. Um, So it was like Mm. a mini deload. Um, Yeah, my knees still hurt. That was two years ago. (laughs) (laughs) My knees hurt just hearing it. (laughs) Oh, mate. And um, that was uh, that was all sleeve squat too, so I didn't wrap back then. Yeah. Um, yep. Fucking hell! I just remember every session I did that for. I lasted two, well, no, lasted three weeks. I got to the second wave. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, I got to the yep. second wave of the small and literally hopping under the bar, just the bar squatting, hurted. Yeah. Hurt every part of my fucking body. I was like, mm. yeah, let's never do that again. <laughs> Yeah, that'll but, do it. <laughs> mind you, I'm not, I'm not fucking lying here. Um, I put uh, I put 15 kilos on my PB squat once yeah. I'm and tested. <laughs> yeah, it it'll so be surprising. Yeah, yeah. Once you once you get the 15 kilo PB and then it's a wheelchair for the next three weeks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was worth it. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was so worth it. Eh? Yeah, I remember walking because my my previous PB actually um. What do you call it? Previous PB was two, I think two thirty-five on squat, and when got two fifty, yep. and I was like, "Wow, that's a that's a fucking good day." <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Run it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, "Let's do it again." And I was like, "Nah." I think um, I, actually, I tell a lie. I did use it. Again. I used it on bench. Um, yep. broken plateau on bench. Same thing with you. I could not touch right. the fucking bar without my elbows flaring up and yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, can uh, can do serious damage on the body that uh, load enough of intensity and frequency yeah. like the Eastern yeah. Europeans do. Yeah, man, it was ridiculous. I think the Norwegian one was like uh, the first day was like you know seven sets of fourteen, and it's like wow. Oh, and then the next day it was like you know eight sets of nine, just all those weird fucking numbers. And then, yeah, uh, yeah, obviously small off was like ten by one or ten by two or something. It was just like ridiculous. Rolling fucking grueling like you go in that's the only lift you do is like you might have accessories back like you know fuck that i'm not not doing those i'm out (laughs) i think uh when i ran that um 
um, Shaco program. I was at a at a leisure center in Bunbury, where I'm originally from, and they only had one rack as well. So mm-hmm. I'd be like seven by one or seven by yeah. three, and I would be there for like an hour and a half in the one rack that they had uh, open use of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I pissed a lot of people off, I would say. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. You you do become a rack hog when you are when you're doing those long big time sets. Yeah. Um, what's uh, what's one of your favorite programs to run as in ways of like for longevity? I know you've probably got um, a few that you've utilized, but what's one of your favorites? Well, I've been working with um, the coaching team that I utilize is Melbourne Strength Culture over yeah. in Melbourne. Um, and I've been they with run them the PTC for maybe, over there, is that right? They, they've got their own facility, um, yeah. but they're involved with primarily powerlifting Australia um, yeah. or world powerlifting over there. Yeah. Um, so I've been with them for maybe four years now. Um, and they've pretty much handled my programming the whole time. So I do a mixture of like, I guess, higher frequency lifts when I'm coming into comps. But then outside of that, it's pretty much just like your general sort of strength-based program. Um, and this sort of leads into when a lot of people think like powerlifters train heavy all year round. Like most of the time I train like pretty moderate. Uh, yeah. And if someone saw me in the gym, they'd be like, oh man, like this dude, does this dude even lift? Got a strength coach? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, but then obviously the best parts are when we get into like, yeah, you're peaking and tapering. Um, oh, and then people are just like, man, yeah. this dude is strong. But yeah, yeah, most of my training is, is taken care of by the team there. Um, and it's pretty much just a mixture of just, yeah, like your general sort of strength based programs with like pretty low frequency. So benching once a week, squatting once a week, deadlifting once a week. Um, and then when it gets towards like your tail end of preps, then it might be squatting three times, benching four, uh, and deadlifting twice. Yeah, that's it, man. And it's uh, it is about managing that overall load, especially when you've got three lifts. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you have any? Ex- uh, I'm not full sure of your history, but do you have any experience with mm-hmm. coaching or um, competing in strongman or anything like that? I haven't, no. But I've uh, I've entertained the thought of doing one of the uh, strongman novice comps in the off season. Yeah, man. Love, good fun, eh? Like I always used to jump in them just for a bit of fun. But um, yeah. One of the things I found training for that is like obviously with powerlifting, you got you got the three lifts that you need to hit for. Mm. Um, and strongman, you got five events, and it's just fuck. Right. <laughs> you got five events, and you know most of them are all for timed with a max weight, mm. and it's like right. you're about to have that strength endurance as well. And I think um, yeah, coming from the two areas with the difference in that uh, strength endurance versus and yep. still being able to apply that maximal strength um, in powerlifting too is mm. uh, has that has that mindset behind that you do need to work on that volume of load as For well sure. um, in ways yep. of and managing that too because you know if you go in the gym and we use powerlifting example and you want to bring up mm. more squat bench dead generally in that one week or that one block there's there's always going to be that one lift I suppose that's just going to take priority um, that you might be trying yeah. to bring up from the previous comp and. That's another sure. mindset thing I think people forget is that at any one time you only got one horse can't you only got one arse can't ride two horses so you got to choose which mm, one you're going to try mm. focus on most. Yeah, absolutely, and there's always like especially across training phases or across like blocks or through yeah. comp to comp, there's always going to be one lift that's kind of lagging. Um, yeah, and you just got to be, I guess, you got to set your targets on like, okay, this lift didn't do as well last time. That's going to be my priority focus next prep versus trying to just go all of them at the same time is just going to end up with you not progressing any. Yeah, for sure, man. That's it. Mate, I think that wraps it up. Anything else you want to drop down for the people listening? Nah, man, it was great to be on board and uh, to finally meet as well. Yeah, for <laughs> and, sure, uh, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, thank you for coming on board. Um, so what I'll do is I'll drop uh, Aaron's 
uh, Instagram Instagram link. Is that the best place to find you? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. So drop place, his, man. That's it. Drop his link in the bottom of the podcast description. So give it a click, give it a follow, go check out his page. Awesome coach, awesome mission, and um, I'll leave you leave a message for the listeners. Thanks for uh, having me on, guys, and hopefully you can take some stuff away. Um, and appreciate, yeah, appreciate your time today, Cash. It was great. No worries. All right, man. Awesome. All right, gonna hit stop.